0: Hey, this is the moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. My guest today is Will Sasso, who I have become such a big fan of yours, dude. I find you just so smart. I mean, really funny, oh, but also just uh, really so fucking smart. And um, what the heck? Well, we're both big kayfabe people.
1: You got to keep it kayfabe.
0: Well, this is or, yeah. Or as they say, you got to keep it kayfabe, dude. You know. <laughs> I grew up reading all the wrestling magazines and was like a freak um, about that. You know, I, I had these giant stacks of The Wrestler, Inside Wrestling, Pro Wrestling Illustrated, and all that stuff, and I would spend hours trying to understand with Bill Apter, did he even sit down with Abdullah the Butcher ever? Or did he make right. the whole story up about going to a place and meeting him to talk about something? Like, I was just trying to understand who came up with the story that they were building. and it, It was an like i think it's one of the things that got me thinking about writers for the first time in my life
1: wow wow that's really interesting yeah once once with with wrestling being a fan of wrestling since a young age as 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 you are you once you start getting clued in that it's like wait a minute wait a minute the older kids might be right how come this happened or that happened and you're like "Eh, maybe this isn't uh completely on the level or perhaps it is you know the bad the f word of fake Uh, then you start thinking about, well, wait a minute. This is cooler. They put this together.
0: Well, and I'm glad that we're going to, I'm going to circle around to this because, you know, I also am someone who knows a lot about the Mechanical Turk and I'm someone who studied the Phil Hendry show very closely. Oh my gosh. And so when I listen to Dudesy, I'm of course put in a world of all that stuff. And But we'll talk about that. We can, you know, we can sort of talk around that at a certain point later, but I was someone who used to drive around listening to Phil Hendry and understanding kind of what was going on before while when Phil kept everything kayfabe before Phil started right there was a long time where it was total kayfabe and you had to just really there were very few sharps and it was mostly not people who were sharps and it's so you know so I'm really interested in how you construct everything without of course you know going uh deeper into. that but here's where I want to start so for people who don't know Will's been a successful person ever since Will Smith cast him on Fresh Prince. I know that's not true and you were never on Fresh Prince, but, um, (laughs) he, he's been, he's been someone working since really like a very, very early spot in his life in, in the business somehow. And, um, I think has sort of each at various times as everyone who's had a Hollywood career, when you look back on it, it looks like there's this design and like there's this body of work. But while you're going through it, it looks like the whole thing could fall apart at any moment and it doesn't exist, right? Uh, (laughs) But he was on Mad TV for years. There's some great things I want to ask you about, about how you figured out how to make your mark on Mad TV. He has a podcast called Dudesy. And you're also, dude, how, I want to say, I guess this, it feels to me like you have the perfect level of fame and renown. Like it feels to me like you're in a spot where you know your work is appreciated, seen, beloved by a group of people who would like, you know, march for you, but that you're not so well known that you can't walk around a city and feel like you can live your life. And is this kind of the thing, the sweet spot you'd hoped for? Is this, or did you have, is there much more that you're looking for in that stuff? Or is this, do you feel like it's kind of a place you can roll along happy in? At
1: this point, I'm, I couldn't be happier with that exactly what you're describing where you're you know it's like i'm so fortunate to still be in this business and and feel like okay there's people that hit me up you know it's interesting i'll you know you're went i mean here we are during the strike but normally you you know i'm working on all my stuff we're all working on all our stuff things are moving along and then you know my manager hits me up and goes you want to do an episode of you know, whatever fucking uh, uh what's that show anyway you know that Show. So it's like, yes, yes, I would. And then I realized my day job is being an actor. I'm, I can't believe I'm doing what I wanted to do as a small child. And yeah, I can still go to, you know, El Pollo Loco and nobody gives a fuck. But the, the, when I was a kid, of course, I got these, you know, you have these, anyone who's running into show business at the age that I got into it has some pretty, Big unrealistic visions for themselves, and I kind of feel like the job that I wanted when I was a little kid doesn't even really exist anymore. And I'm very satisfied with that at this point in my life. And once I started realizing that years and years ago, I was like, oh, "That doesn't even matter." But to answer your question directly, when I was a kid, I thought I I, I just kind of felt like. If you're going to do this, if you're going to pursue this and hopefully someday you make it to LA and all that stuff, you have to swing for the fences and you have to, you know what I mean? Like you, you have to aim to be the, the idols that, that you are watching. And you're also watching the other people in the movie. And for a moment, you know, if I may, I, I was watching movies, you know, you watch movies, you go like, this is incredible. Here's. You know, here are the, the the movie stars of the day are the the comedic giants that I looked up to. You know, very predictable list from Bill Murray, John Candy, and all the all of the the greats uh, within the, the the you know the generation that I was watching. And but there's also that other guy, the character actor, and you're sort of watching, going, "Well, how did he get that?" What a, you know? And then you see an actor, then you start becoming conscious of the fact that some actors suck.
0: You're in your teens, and you're like, "That guy sucked. I can do that." You know yeah, what I that's mean? That's a great... Well, those... So, a great moment as is when you kind of realize, yeah, like if you're a musician, you might realize I'll never be Bob Dylan, but I don't have to be. There's thousands of people with platinum records on their wall who aren't Bob Dylan, right? True. Or... Uh, gourd from the hip, if I can just help you out to understand who I'm talking about. Oh, That's the cheers. the Canadian Bob Dylan. Um, if, but uh, I still don't can't quite understand what I'll never understand what Wheat Kings is really about. I know there's a hockey team and a killer, but I really can't. It's very hard to beyond if you're, that. If you're American, it's very hard to understand it.
1: And if you're Canadian, you know that there the 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 high school hallways that are lined with the. Uh, our parents' prime ministers, as Gord Downey, rest in peace, says in the song, you're like, oh, this is the most Canadian thing in the world. I am, it basically, that song, Wheat Kings, just harkens to the prairies and basically the most boring life in the world. Thank goodness there's a killer in the song, or else you'd be like, what's this song about? You're driving around a flat town getting drunk, and uh, there's nothing to even crash into to kill yourself. That's what that song's about. There is I mean,
0: nothing better than getting a Canadian going on Gord and the hip. It's as entertaining to me as I, I really, it's about as entertaining as anything could possibly uh, be. Well, look, Gord Downey, for those who
1: don't know, is the lead singer of the Tragically Hip. As you say, he's the Bob Dylan of Canada. They're the Rolling Stones of Canada. He, it's, the, it's the Bruce Springsteen of the E Street Band of Canada. Any concert you wish it goes three hours. And... They're just, they have, they have, a, I, look, I've tried. I, I I'll i play this stuff for Canadian, for American friends. I played it for my wife. She's like, listen, I get it. I'm just not, I just
0: don't need to listen to it. I get it. But, you, you know. You, you should start I, yeah, her went, off. What I would do if I were you, man, is I would start her off with Max Webster. Like, because if you start, oh, I would start her off with Max Webster. <laughs> and then. I have, I played that. She's like, what is this weird <laughs> shit? At this point, she can listen to music and go. Is this Canadian? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, no, this is blues traveling. That's you? funny. Because if you go from, if you go first, I think that John Popper, that's John's shirt. But if you go first with, if you lead with Max Webster and then you're like, and you know, Pai Dubois also co-wrote Tom Sawyer. And then you, so you go from that and then I would maybe go with Rick Emmett and I would be like, let me play you Rick Emmett playing um, the song on just acoustic. Then when you play the hip, it's like, oh, I love this. That's I just would, yeah. I would get. You know what I mean? You know, I would just try to get there. You know what I? You know what I've been playing for her that she really loves is Bruce Coburn. Well, that's actually. I mean that. Yeah, that's great shit. So is the. I mean the hip. I I wish I would have really like. I do think Wheat Kings is on like all these playlists of mine. It's like one of my favorite songs. And um, I mean I know that's like being a fucking fish fan and saying you like Farmhouse like Wheat Kings is so easy. But I do fucking love that song, even though. It is confusing what it's about because hockey's in there too, isn't it? Is Isn't there a jersey or something? I think that it's, yeah. there's somehow some hockey idea within that.
1: Well, as you're saying that, I'm I'm thinking literally. There's a hockey. There's mention of hockey or literally a hockey jersey in a quarter of their songs. So that's I'm like, funny. Is it in
0: Wheat Kings? I don't know. Maybe not. Uh, but 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 uh, what I was going to say before we got off on this. Sorry. or I was going to ask you is. Yeah, of course, the ambition, like you said, we we want when you set out to do this stuff, you realize at a certain point, not everyone can be Bob Dylan or like for me, I realized, oh, I might never be as good as the David Mamet of 1989. But that's okay uh, because there's only one guy writing Speed the Plow and House of Games and I can just be as good as I can be and probably like accomplish something. So like that's what you're you know, that same moment. Right.
1: I mean, I kind of feel like once you start, once you get into the industry and you realize, and once I moved down to LA and all that stuff, and you realize how dogged it is or was at that point, now I don't even understand how anyone even gets a gig. A friend of mine gets a gig. I'm like, show you're in show business. This is great. And, but in my twenties, my early twenties and stuff, you realize, okay, I'm here. This is happening now. And I'm up against everybody. And. You know, I'm in the mirror at night, whether it's an audition or the first day on set going, you're not going to get me, motherfucker. I'm going to, you know, because like this job is going away. This day is going away. Hopefully I get something for my demo reel. And whether or not you, you, uh, whether you choose to dilute yourself and go, I'm a big movie star. And I'm just walking around town, pissing everyone off and being a, a weird, you know, narcissist. Or you choose to go. Okay, I'm in it. I'm in this 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 world and I'm I'm trying to do my best. The whether whatever you, you know, you decide how you want to pursue it, but there's a reality. And um, you also realize, you know, not to bring up names, but I'll I'll be a fan of some actors who are great comedic actors who are, let me say, like the generation before me. And I'll be like, well, how come that guy wasn't, you know, Adam Sandler? Or how come that guy wasn't Will Ferrell? You know, how come they didn't get to that point? And I'll bring that up in conversation with people or or people from, you know, from my life who aren't in the business or people that I grew up with and stuff. And you'll say like, you know, because you're telling them about some project and then it goes away or, hey, I'm really excited about this thing. And then it just goes, you know. It's just, it goes to the shitter and you're like, what happened to that thing? Oh, when, you know, we're not, I was just discussing this with a, a cousin of mine. Cause we were about to, I was up North and uh, hanging out and there's a family thing. And um I'm like, what about that movie you were going to do up here? And I, and I, and I'm positively going like, oh, well, this didn't work out in that. And we couldn't find this person. And then, so, you know, it got later in the summer and you realize if we shoot it up here, it's going to start raining. And so, you know, with a, but that was two years ago well, then what happened? Well, we took a whack at it last year and blah, blah, blah. But I'm still super positive about it because, and and her face was like, this sounds like a bummer, but I also know you're doing what you're doing and you're happy. So I, I'm just like, you know, in conversations like that, not that one specifically, but you bring up to friends and family and cohorts, you go, well, what about so-and-so? They go, I don't know who that is. And then you show them on your phone, they go, oh, I know that motherfucker. Yeah. And I go, That guy's the funniest person in the world to me. So at which point you start to look around and you look past yourself and whatever I was thinking when I was 12 years old and you're in LA and you're going, you're in it and you're like, Whoa, I love what this person does. And I love what this person, I can't believe I'm working with
0: so-and-so and And I lost a part, but I lost it to Dave Techner or whatever. All you can do is get in there and try and, like it's the kind of thing Corolla would talk about sometimes um, when he's not talking about some wing nut theory, but where Corolla will say yeah. something, I mean, I know him a very long time and yeah. you know, whatever, but, um, and, 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 I've had some of the greatest conversations ever with him. And then some where I just go like, Adam, 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 but, um, uh, but he'll, you know, he want, you know, you want to like get in there and contribute and like try to come up with something. And yeah, today you might not be the big star, but you're going to make a mark by doing some good work and, That's what you. But you know, secondly, when you talked about the people who became the big stars, I was thinking about so like the movie. You know, we all have these hallmark moments, but I remember exactly where I was when I saw Stripes. I'm a couple years older than you, a few years older than you, and I remember exactly who I was with and what I was doing when I saw Stripes. And I remember thinking I have to go back and see it, or until I have it memorized, like as many times it takes till I have it memorized. You know, and um, I do have thing up to like um, I once went up to Bill Murray and did the whole speech uh, because I'd heard him give an interview that that he loved when a fan would really let them know he liked his work and I was at a Knicks game and I went up to him and I did Chicks Dig Me, like the whole speech beginning to end for him. Uh, It was amazing, it was an amazing thing. But like John Candy.
1: That's incredible.
0: John Candy, yes, SCTV, yeah, he'd done some things. But pre-Uncle Buck and Plains Trains, John Candy was a working fame. like at the time to us, he seemed like a huge star then, but he wasn't, right? He was another guy who would take his moments. I mean, how much screen time does Dewey Oxberger get in that movie? Ten minutes, fifteen well, minutes of screen yeah. time.
1: Well, you know, there's. I've heard stories of like Canadian theaters when Stripes is playing, and he walks in, and he's like, "Is there a meal on this flight, his <laughs> stewardess yeah, or whatever?" Of and the the and the audience and the play the roof blows off the joint. But if you were a few miles south in Buffalo, people are like whatever. Uh, yeah, you know that's a really great example. And then it's like Splash in '83. Stripes yeah. was like what '81 or something, and then. Splash is 83 and then, you know, he starts showing. And then it's like, whoa, you're John Candy from, from well, I'm SCTV. so glad you just said,
0: the, said it that way because then when he shows up in JFK, all of us down, everybody, when he shows up and says daddy-o, it's yeah. like that moment that happened, what, 10 years before in Canada yeah. happened in every movie theater where people were like, holy fuck, that's John fucking Candy. And he's stealing yeah. the movie from Kevin Costner right now. And yeah. it was an amazing moment, I thought, you know.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. And and it's been said, obviously, but, you know, had he continued, I, I do feel like there would be some, there would be some, uh, uh, not that this is the point or anything, but there'd be some hardware on his mantle because yes. it's like I, if... If planes, trains, and automobiles was a modern, it was a modernized movie, and it came out anywhere in the past 15 years, he wins a an Oscar at least for best supporting actor. Um, I agree with you. What he what he conveys, and I feel like uh, you know, watching that movie as a kid and having the reasons you love it as a kid, and then later you're continuing to watch it, and I've seen the movie a hundred times or whatever, right? Uh, once you realize what he's conveying as an actor, just jumping off the page about loneliness and how he doesn't even need any fun. he doesn't even need to speak at the at the end of the movie when steve martin walks into the train station it's like doll what are you doing here you told me you were going oh, home what are you doing here uh you were going to be with your 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 you know your wife you know he's like i don't have a home that's all he had to say and even before he says that he's just looking at steve martin just just you know just so like he's caught And it's like the ruse is up. I can't be the shower curtain ring salesman and brighten everyone's day and walk into this, you know, this and that, uh, 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 you know, hotel, motel in the middle of Indiana. Evening Gus and know everybody. It's He's now stripped down. And that stuff is, it's a beautiful script. And, And John Hughes is, of course, an incredible storyteller. But he has... John Candy, who's yes jumping off of the screen with loneliness, and it's overlooked. It, yeah, it's I don't know. I could talk forever. Yeah, <laughs> but it's interesting, John you don't. Andy. It's
0: funny. So you're one of the most gifted impressionists I've ever seen, and uh, I've been like studying impressionists my my whole life. Uh, I was fat. I would watch Carson and you know Fred Travellina. Like anyone who was on was someone I, I would. I was just super super into it and focused on it and fascinated by it. But I haven't really seen you do, like, a long John Candy thing. Is it out of respect to John Candy that you don't do it? Well, I've never even attempted it. See, that's there's wild no... to me because he's your North Star in a way, right?
1: Yeah. Well, I, as a kid, I would do, you know, you'd walk around the house going, Oh, no, Mr. Cavalier, oh, please. <laughs> you know, like doing a like a shitty Johnny LaRue. Yeah,
0: Johnny LaRue, there's nothing better, of course. The laugh, yeah. Johnny LaRue's laugh and stuff, yeah. Yeah.
1: And, and, and then... Uh, but yeah, it's like immediately there was never there's never a scenario, you know, in Mad TV you just start letting your mind go wild, oh what can we do blah 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 and you know, writers are going, well, who else is fat? What could, who could you do here? You know, like blah blah blah. And, and you're just like you're just crossing off people. It never even came up, you know. Right, you never, never wanted even... to
0: just say, you know, like uh, you know, do De- uh, Dewey Oxburger, my friends call me Ox uh I swallow a lot of uh, aggression and a lot of pizzas. You never, you never felt like you should. No, I never wanted to put it into a sketch. It also felt like, John can't. I mean, you kind of can't.
1: It's hard to impersonate people who are funny uh, because they're already. No, they've already fu- the right, Who are intentionally funny? Yeah, it, it's like, what do you, you know, a lot of, especially a show like Mad TV. You, you were you were mining things to make fun of people. You had to do, there had to be something that you could make fun of, whether or not that person is in on it. Certainly you make, you you could kind of expand on their funny thing and and uh, poke a little fun at it and still be pretty kind about it. I'm not saying you need to tease everybody and make fun of it, anyone or tear them down. But with Candy, it's it was just like you...
0: That's sacrilege. But, well, That's I wonder, sacrilege. I, but I also wonder that makes sense to me. And, but and I also wonder if it's like, because um, of the way you think about candy. Like I said, this uh, Norman Norman Mailer said this thing that like a great novelist can write about anything in the world except a better novelist, which is one of my oh, wow. favorite sentences. Like ideas, right? You can't imagine the better because when you're the amazing thing about your impressions is that you get the thought process of the person. Like you start not sounding like the person only. You become the person. You seem to have the contours of like all their knowledge and your knowledge floating around in your head. Your whole, right, your syntax completely changes. And not just for the short joke. uh, Hey, you know, what would it be like if somebody threw a baseball at whatever? You can go and have a very long conversation in, in character for a lot of people. I don't know, maybe you just feel like Candy's choices are so different. You would not really make his choices because, in your mind, he's gonna make the very best choice every time.
1: That's a, I think you nailed it. Yeah,
0: I I I
1: I don't I can't spend any time speaking as him, and I don't outside of like you don't want to cheapen it in a way. Yeah, no. As a kid, I was just you know when I started acting and stuff, and I got started when I was fifteen, like working in TV and film and stuff. I was just stealing takes. Like I would just be like, here's, here's a Bill Murray, you know, here's a Dan Aykroyd, you know, here's a Martin short. Here's a Catherine O'Hara. Here are things that I've seen where I'm like, these are the funniest takes. And I just literally would sort of innately and automatically look at a script, even though it might be something where I'm just playing, you know, kid number two, and it's a dramatic thing. I would pop in these things because I was so starved to be a comedic actor coming up in Canada, doing a a lot of drama and stuff and, and then some quirky, funny things. And, and I'm just stealing these takes, but with Candy, it never got past stealing a couple takes, but I can't,
0: I can't be, I can't pretend to be John Candy for more than seven seconds. Right. Because of the, what he would, it's awesome. I get it. And it's, it's a real insight into kind of the way you do the thing that you do, because it is about this internal thing as an you you are channeling in a way because you can because they're not beyond you they're not beyond your can well, or something where the where maybe candy's kind of beyond our can you know
1: yes yeah and there are other things where i certainly revere a lot of the people that i've done impressions of but i don't know candy's candy but there's with other people it's like some people you know their rap and it's enough to get going but after that, it's like, it's like starting a shitty car. It starts going on its own after a while. And the most fun for me is taking something where a guy does – someone who's – here's what he says and here's the rap. And you do it for long enough that people are like, oh, that's a good impersonation. And then you start talking about whatever you want to talk about. And it has nothing to do with the way – The person talks or what he says. Well, I think Jesse. Yeah, go ahead, say it. Say what you're saying. Well, the other thing, the other thing about that is, I I can. I'm just thinking of this one weird example now, where it's like, I used to impersonate Arnold Schwarzenegger as a kid, just like with my buddies. You know what I mean? And we used to like be out there playing, you know, just on the, just you know, in the town, just playing football, basketball, baseball, and we would make up little movies that. You know, Arnold Schwarzenegger stars in, you know, Stealing Home or whatever. He's like, Billy, listen, I'm your little league coach, but also I'm in love with your mother. And also, <laughs> get down. You know, it's an action heartwarming. And then you're doing all these Schwarzenegger things that are silly. And it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look at this. You know, a friend of mine was telling me I wasn't there, but he was like, oh, he opened a plan at Hollywood and he was in Vancouver. And he's like, you know, hey, Vancouver. You have the best mountain views. Yay. You have the best hockey team. I don't know. Uh, And now you have the best hamburger. And everyone's like, huh. And he's goofy. Right. And so I start doing goofy things. And that was the kind of fun thing at Mad TV where he's like, goofy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, make a sequel first. It makes a lot of money. makes, you know, more money than the original. So first we call this Stolen Identity 2 even though there's no, and, no. and, and then late, but here's the thing. I know over the past 15, 20 years, Schwarzenegger is like, eh, fuck it. I don't care. I I'm done being the governor. I came back and I'm like, I'll do whatever. He's showing up in gyms in a costume. He's playing, he's biking around his backyard with his donkeys and you can't make fun of him. So all the stuff that I used to do that was like, Oh, Will's, Will's got, Schwarzenegger locked i'm like no, no I now i that think the,
0: the way to do the way to get a schwarzenegger now i've actually thought about this in you i've thought about you doing arnold but the way to get a schwarzenegger now i think is like actually to do him as the guy with the 200 iq who just made all this happen it's the it's like the guy who had the, it is it's like basically uh if Getty lee asked him to replace neil and write the words like, you know, how would you feel about, you know, could you come in and write the words so that Getty and Alice could get back together? And, you know, uh, it's like, <laughs> you know, I think yeah. Arnold would have a take on it somehow. Yes. Yeah. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. I, like, I always liked yeah. the Led Zeppelin, but I don't know this rush. You know, whatever the thing is that he would sort yeah. of like how he would get yeah. at it. Because I agree, he's not, slapstick Arnold doesn't exactly work now. No,
1: no, because he's doing it. And so. Did you watch of- the documentary?
0: Did you watch all three i I, i've seen the first episode i haven't seen the rest i mean he does have the guy does have like a 200 iq or something i mean he just made i didn't know that well you watch it when you watch it he was a bad bad governor and everything but when you watch like the three things you come away being like this lunatic just did every single thing he said he was going to do and the exact order like nobody has accomplished what he he literally was a kid, but it's similar. Like, honestly, we all of us in show business, I mean, it's what you said at the beginning of this about like all of us have those delusions when we enter this. I mean, he was a kid who sat in a little room in Austria and saw uh, Hercules and was like, I can be that guy, so I have to become the most physically fit man in the whole world. Then I have to learn what's funny in English and then I have to go to Hollywood and convince them to make me a lead. And then I have to choose all the right scri- like scripts. And then I want to go be governor of the biggest state. And I'm like no, where
1: the where the rest of us are like, I just want to get. I mean, from my perspective, it's like I just want to get this part. You know, whatever it is. <laughs>
0: you feel here's the question it's just not to ask a sack or anything but like as a kid because I'm always interested in people very few people can pull this off where they start as a kid and it works and then they still have a really productive Hollywood career and a, a career where they're successful they can take care of the family they can buy themselves whatever fucking car they want you know they're living a real successful life as a show business figure and they started as a kid and they're not super fucked up did you feel seen as a kid by the people around you like did your teachers like see you did they get it were you an outsider like what what or were you on the inside like when you decided i have to be this other thing like who who were you
1: i i you know i grew up in in um in a really nice middle class kind of upbringing um the town i'm from is like 30 minutes outside of vancouver my old man um my parents are immigrants from italy from napoli my brother and sister are older than me uh and they were born there and then 10 years later i was the mistake and then uh you know dad dad commuted into town and worked at the hotel vancouver he was a uh you know a, a a waiter and a maitre d all over europe and stuff and certainly italy and then moved the family out in um 66 and uh uh 65 60 no 66 and um and then uh you know so i grew up in this you know mom was a was a you know real pistol and and a uh was a, a typical you know little italian lady who was just she was the boss and i grew up with these friends this is crazy but like look i still know pretty much everybody all the guys I love that. all the dudes right yeah like i saw them you know i was just back home like 3 weeks ago and you know, I was hanging out, I had two different hangouts with a group, different groups of it, like, oh, I can't come Friday, well, I'll see you Sunday, you know, um, and they still all hang out, and it's, you know, I can't shake these dudes, and we're always, you know, chatting with each other on this and that. I mean, it's like, it's like we're still 16, so certainly, socially, everything was great. I was, you know, I was a funny kid, uh, my buddies were, were, you know, nerdy jocks, jock, guys some some of us were theater kid jocks like weird you know just kind of all you know just these these kids so i was heard by my friends my friends crucial a lot of laughing crucial yeah and yeah and and we you know and i was definitely a class clown i was definitely getting laughs out of my friends doing the weirdest like that guy who do anything for a laugh and the thing is like there were some funny dudes but there were literally like five of us who would do anything for a laugh so it was great but no yeah like at home it was a combination of my parents didn't know what to make of any of this stuff because of where they're from and they don't really know they just would allow me to watch tv and warp my brain um
0: were they did they leave and, like italy behind like were they listening to italian music at home or were they listening to oh, yeah italian music at home
1: the Italian music and Dolly Parton and Willie Nelson and Kenny Rogers, which was bizarre. Like, uh, yeah, my mom loved all, you know, everything from, you know, all the eighties, you know, like she got into all the, she loved all current contemporary music, but on Saturdays and Sundays she would play the old Italian stuff from the thirties and clean the house. And, and, uh, um, yeah, so it was a very Italian upbringing. My old man did, you know, they brought over aunts and uncles and cousins wow. too, so there's a whole community in Canada and Vancouver, outside of Vancouver. And um you know, they didn't know what to make of it. They never did.
0: Right. You know, like
1: I if I was ever home while Mad TV was on the air, while I was on Mad TV, uh and I'm visiting I'm visiting home, sometimes I would watch a little bit with them. And my mom would laugh, and she understood all the contemporary, all the pop culture, everything. My old man doesn't know who anyone is. He knows, he knows if I'm doing Bill Clinton, he knows who that is. Sure, yeah. But I go, Dad, who am I doing? Who's that? He goes, Yeah, yeah, he's the funny guy, you know. And I'm like, No, no, no. Who is that? Yeah, you know, he got a glasses, and uh, you know, he's singing a song. It's Randy Newman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Randy, I, yeah I didn't yeah, know your dad
0: I, was Bruno San Martino, but that's an incredible. My dad, is, my dad is I did Bruno not realize Sammartino. he was actually Bruno San Martino. That's he's an Actually Bruno San Martino. <laughs> that's the he, best they, Bruno oh. San Martino I've ever heard. That is um just can you just say uh, I'll tell you, Vince, uh that Ernie yeah. Ladd is a bad guy.
1: Yeah. I would tell you, Vince, that Ernie Ladd, he's a bad guy. And uh, I'm gonna make something out of him, uh, Madison Square Garden. I'm very happy to go and uh, see all the people come to uh, support me. It's gonna be a good match. But early lad, you're gonna get what's coming to you.
0: That's amazing. Uh, that's just that's yeah, they, so much like yeah. I'm Bruno There's, I mean, above. My, sorry, but like, so um, in my office. No, like, so in my office. You know, literally, this is the office that when we're not on strike, you know, we make billion the show billions out of and all yeah. that. Stuff. No, I'm saying. So I have a picture of Billy Wilder and his writing partner, I.A. Diamond. That's up, a framed picture of them in their suits. And then right under this is this picture of Bruno. Oh, my
1: God. This I is... love that picture so much. And he looks like a shaved gorilla.
0: Like, Yeah, it's the greatest thing ever. I mean, this is literally in my fucking office above my desk. So, yeah. But I've never heard anyone do a good Bruno impression He's... before.
1: My old man is like this stoic old guy who would like you know uh he 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 was very it's just he was bruno he was the guy you know obviously he had like big wooden hands and would like open any i've seen him like finish like like 3 inch nails with his with his fist into the fence and did your siblings the son of a bitch. did
0: your siblings have accents too or no The
1: no, older ones no they yeah they were they were uh my sister was a year and a half and my brother was a few months when they moved so it was they were they were canadianized but they were, you know, look, they're older. It was almost like growing up with a second set of, of course, parents. Of like course. I, I of would course. much sooner get in shit for swearing in front of mom and dad than I would for swearing in front of my brother and sister. That's amazing. So oh. certainly they weren't hearing a peep out of me when I was a kid. So there was a, and the teachers, you know, school kind of bored the shit out of me, but I was still like, you know, captain of the football team and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, all the st- you know, it's like I was looked at as like a a good kid, you know, but I was like, I don't give a fuck about
0: I'm acting, I don't care. And that it's was like it. I'm you doing were acting the plays. that you knew. Would you remember what the thing was where you were like, I gotta go do this? Was it one performance? Was it going to the movies? Like, what was the moment where you were like, Fuck it? I got this is me. I'm gonna try to audition. And obviously, your parents didn't know what that meant or how to fucking help you, right? right? Yeah. So how did no. you figure it out? There's no internet. How did you figure it out, Will? Well,
1: I, I had friends that were dabbling in it, and I I had a, a, like, look, from the time I was very little, I think before I was conscious of it, I was like, that's what I'm going to do. Like, I would watch old Saturday Night Live oh, yeah. in reruns, because, you know, the show started the year I was born, so I wasn't catching any of the first five years, at at which point it was, uh you know, at which point it was airing currently but i'm watching i'm watching everything in reruns i'm watching saturday night live in my early teens and stuff and but even as a kid as a little kid i was like that's what i'm going to do and then getting a bit older i started to just i was just a nerd for acting and actors and i was like i wanted to be an actor and then you know i saw planes trains and automobiles and i saw movies before that where i was like I need to do this. I, I This is what I'm doing in the schoolyard, but it's on a movie screen. And then I started to take it, I started to take myself kind of seriously and go, I can I I can be an actor. And I remember one pivotal thing was when Kevin Kline won Best Supporting Actor for A Fish Called Wanda, because I was like, he was hilarious right. in the movie, but he won an Academy Award. Yes. So I was like, he's respected for being, even though he's just, He's hilarious. He was a good actor too, um, and that kind of that kind of blew my mind. And then while I was in high school, which in Canada, my part of Canada was eight to twelve uh, grades, eight to twelve. I had this teacher Eileen Joe, who was the drama teacher, yeah. and Jason Priestley used to go to my high school. So he's off doing nine hundred two one zero, and and I'm watching that. I'm in the eighth grade, going. Well, Mrs. Reutman, as she was known then, is 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 uh, is Jason's teacher, and Jason's like, you know, like, you know, he he he's her protege as as a kid. That's what I'm thinking. And she would look at me because I was really gung ho, and I was there all the time, and I wanted to be in all the plays and all that. And she's like, "Well, William's going to go off," and and when I heard that, I was like, "I believe it." Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, well, and that makes total her,
0: sense that, that you could look. I mean, it makes complete sense that that made it seem possible.
1: It, it made it seem
0: at least possible. Yeah, because he could. there's a hand touching a hand, touching a hand. Like, yes. Yeah, you could climb that rope, right? There's a way to climb yeah. that rope. So somehow the,
1: the industry almost kind of reached out to me in this weird corner of Canada that would usually be maybe... Uh, f- reserved for some kid who grew up in the right circumstances in New York City, maybe, yeah. where he could go to a performing arts school and and had parents that were like, oh, yeah, you want to pursue your thing? I mean, obviously, a very specific kind of kid with a very specific kind of opportunity and surrounding and a very specific kind of uh, you know parents and teachers around him might be able to be at the fame high school. Which, as a little kid, I was watching the Fame High School, going, going, watching Fame, going. These kids have it made. That's what I want to do. Sure. If this place, had, if this school had a football team, that would be the best scenario for me. So, in a way, the business kind of. And Vancouver, there was tons of shit going on. So, really, I'm thirty minutes. Was from, Chuck
0: Norris starting to shoot all those shows there then, or not? That was too. Soon, not yet. Or was he? Was he? No, there? they
1: they were. They were shooting Twenty One Jump Street there. They were shooting a lot of American stuff, mostly movies would kind of come up yeah. you'd hear that oh they're shooting this this movie here and then they're gone um and then a lot of Canadian TV and so you know I got my start in Canadian television and and um you know I went to I kind of crashed some auditions and and would read the back of the Georgia Strait for like here are some open calls and and then I had a buddy who was represented as, a, as an actor. And he was like doing like, like kid modeling and, and, and acting. And, you know, he would show up in our, in the, you know, the, um my buddy Austin would show up like in the catalog in the or whatever catalog. Yeah. 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 Where he's like yeah. wearing back to school shit. And we all thought that was the coolest thing. And then he took me to this thing and our, I showed up and I kind of, I wasn't supposed to be there. I literally crossed some kid's name off the list and then put my name Love there. It. And Love
0: it. Yeah, just good. Did
1: some, you know, and probably sucked. But the the woman who owned the agency and started the agency where this casting thing was happening was saw it and saw that I was, like, you know, just there. And then I, I got represented. And then, look, as luck would have it, because, you know, as as an actor, you're auditioning for things, and it's like, you know, I go in, I go, that was, that was at 95%. I'll leave that in the room. That was great. And then you don't hear anything. Sure. And then you, and then you go to another audition and you're like, you walk in and you're the guy. So, you know, it's like, then you have auditions like that, where it's like, eh, that was okay. But then it's like, no, we really want you to do. And, and I still am bewildered. I have no idea. And having been, you know, very few times, but having been behind the desk, it's the same thing where it's like, I wanted, to cat, I wanted this person, well, it's but then am- this person walked It's an amazing in. thing
0: to be behind the thing because you can see that it actually, it doesn't matter. You might have done a hundred thing. It doesn't matter if the vi- if the thing is this other yeah. thing. By the way, the yeah. name you crossed off, I know that was Scott Speedman. And then he ended up like he, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. He got so frustrated yeah. by that that that's yeah. what made him just take <laughs> off for California. Yeah. Um, and
1: then Nathan Fillion was behind good, me. He goes, yeah. how
0: did you get? And I go, all you
1: got to do is cross this Speedman shit. And what a stupid name. Don't make up a name like Scott Speedman and
0: walk in here. You're 16 years old. Fuck you.
1: So I crossed his stupid name. <laughs> yeah, how
0: you, fuck that guy. Fuck Speedman. Yeah. There Literally might not be a nicer person in show business than Scott Speedman. Let me just say, <laughs> yeah, I used him. to play a lot of basketball with him. There's, yeah. there might, he's like the sweetest person. But yeah, fuck that yeah. guy. Looking yeah, like it. growing up, looking like that. It's not even fair. No, it's
1: not fair. Screw you. And then, but you know, the first audition that they sent me out on, I got. I, That's and incredible. It's like,
0: yeah. You rose to it. You must first, have, somehow you like rose to it, obviously. Like you rose to the moment. I, I think,
1: I think I just kind of, you know, went in and they were like, Yeah, hey, this fat kid, this is funny, you know. And I got my first part because it was my first audition. So I think at that point, my agent there in Canada was like, all right. This kid can yeah. you know oh so yeah. that'll and that'll that'll give you some leeway for a year yes like that and and I didn't work again until the next year, but I had you know she was like invested
0: she was like this kid can can do some stuff were you working on your craft then too consciously or not yet like were you were you trying to get better in a very conscious kind of way then? or did that start later? Did you start working on like what it means to be able to, you know, do seven ten? you know what I mean? You know, you, there is sort of a level of craft at play too. Yeah. No,
1: I, I, at the beginning, I was like faking it. Like I was Uh like, I'm showing up to set. I'm scared. I don't like, you know, it's funny. There were some, a couple other kids around me. I did three episodes of this show called neon rider, which was about this, um, it was about this michael landon type guy uh from you know he he this fellow winston record who uh has since passed on rest in peace and he had like the flowing hair and he was a there was uh, social workers in in vancouver like in the town whatever was in the city and they got these kids who are problematic and every episode it's like well let's send this kid off to uh to you know be with this guy, this you know, thing and he shows up in his seventy two Bronco and takes the kids up to like the woods and they hang out at his ranch really? and yeah, then yeah. and sounds, they're climbing roads. It sounds wholesome. And, I mean it really sounds wholesome. You couldn't do the show now. Be like, get out of his car. Don't no 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 stay back in the social worker's office. But they let these kids go to the ranch and then they somehow get it. You know they're sure they oh they go back oh they get it. No, oh, they and get it. it. The, the and kids then they go back it. to their, let's be clear. The kids get it. <laughs> the kids absolutely get it. A lot of cutting room floor shit. Yeah. And, and then they go back to their parents crying and I love you. And they get solved at the end. And I did three episodes as just like one of the kids who's there. And I'm just like, I've been up at this ranch for, you know, fucking however long. And I'm Eli and I'm a kleptomaniac and I can't stop stealing shit. And they were, and they didn't even have like clothes to fit my big ass. They were like, well, what can you, and I was like bringing like Canadian TV. I'm wearing like a Brian Bosworth Jersey and they're like, and no, not even worried about clearance. So really weird. And I did, and I was trying to make things funny and I was cracking them up a bit because at night I was sitting there in the mirror again, going, I'm going to memorize every line. I am so valuable." hit the set. Because I'm like, this could be my last gig. And I think all actors still feel this way. And
0: not all of them show up prepared, though, man. Knowing every line is the biggest separator. You know it. Knowing every line is a giant separator. It's like you got to be a fucking genius to show up and not know it and still be able to be good. You got to know it. Yeah, you gotta know it, or else you can't play at all. You and, got yes! And, that's so, I hope, he, yes, you gotta know it. Like, because people will tell you, or whatever the thing is, but if you're someone, you know, I have this, I got um, I got asked to be in Michael Clayton, and I, I have a really great two scenes in Michael Clayton. Like, pretty, wow. pretty, yeah, it's awesome. But I hadn't acted since college, like none, zero. And I, wow. all I real, but you know, I was doing this, obviously I was on set every day in my life, but I hadn't acted in 25 years, or whatever it was. And I, I just realized if I memorize it completely, then I'm in the director's hands. If I memorize it and, right. and show up, then it's not on me to be good. It's on the director to get what he wants out of it. And yeah. uh, I can just show up and be present and pay attention. Yeah. Because but it was like the difference in just having it cold meant I could at least stand there. And because, you know, the moment someone, George Clooney fucking looked at me um across the poker table, I wanted a freeze, but at least I had it down, yeah. right? It's a big advantage to have it down. So many yeah. people show up and they're not prepared, dude.
1: Yeah, it's that blows my mind. I mean, look, I I can show up and n- not be prepared because uh at, the, <laughs> at this point in my career, because it's like, I'm going to do blocking and this writing is so native to me or or sure. hopefully if you're working with great with a great script it's like I can do blocking I don't want to marry myself to a performance yet at all and and it's like I've run it the night before um you know I'm a big believer in these weird especially the past few years uh the past like 10 years like apps on my phone that'll just play the and I can just pop the words in and just do it for the words do it for the words and But even if I'm not the most prepared, when I go away and you set the lights up, I am ready for that first take because especially lately, sometimes you're only getting two takes and we got to move on. Budgets are getting cut and you you don't have the luxury. This isn't some big movie. Where well, get to 30, shoot all Listen,
0: man, 30 years later of working, of course you can... Modify what we're talking about, but if, if somebody's listening to this and they're going to show up on the third thing that they've been in and they've gotten a shot, go and be prepared ahead of time. Yeah, 25 years later, you might figure out it's better if between if I know it kind of, but between blocking and first shot is when I really know for sure I can own it. That's great for yeah. you. But I'm saying that's a perfect you've made that work for you, but in the beginning, you definitely yeah. had it down, you know, and and because then yeah. you can play, then if someone throws you something. Uh, you know that you can handle it and come back. I gotta talk about Jesse because the way that I really got to you, like I knew your work from Mad TV, obviously I know you are, but when I became really kind of obsessed, was like the Jesse Ventura is not just an impression. To me, that fucking thing is like basically um, my, my, my writing partner and lifelong best friend, creative partner, Dave Levine, when we were young and he was writing his first novel, and this is applied to every big project I've ever written. He said, like, what happens when you're in the middle of a real thing that has you by the fucking balls, like, the is every single thing you touch in your life ends up getting folded in through that thing. Like, you start looking at things through the prism of that. And like, when I watch you really do Jesse now, it does feel like you have absorbed, almost like Doozy, like you have absorbed kind of the entire culture that's happening with men right now. And you're kind of spitting it back through this guy who's kind of like, considers himself the Uber King of the whole thing. Does that make sense to you? No, not really. (laughs) That's fine. Because you'll talk about, to me, it seems like I could, okay, I think I could ask you to talk about whether the SEAL guys who've written books are still heroes. Like, Jesse, Jesse, do you think those guys are still heroes if they, you know, when they left the teams and they started writing writing books?
1: Yeah, well, a lot of guys uh, can write books, but, uh, you know, here's the thing. When you're underwater and you've got to be there for at least four minutes and you pop up, and your drill sergeant is like, get on, get. get listen, you son of a bitch! I want you to drop and give me 50 fifty push-ups. You might head back to the barracks and think about writing a book instead of being a man and serving your country. And that's fine. And perhaps you've picked up some, uh, some sort of selfish endeavor like uh, writing. And I always say, writers write, but a man can do, can do anything. And if unless you've been in the shit, look, I'll tell you writing a book is hard but i never had a harder job than uh running running the pile driver when i was in minnesota uh you know 8 hours a day that's what gave me the tensile strength that i needed to wrestle bob Backlund for 45 minutes at the philadelphia spectrum
0: well, right. yeah but but, you get but a ghost also writer, but pussy. I mean, Backlund. I think uh, Jesse. I do think Governor. Um, uh, I think Backlund wrote a really good book about his whole. I don't know if you got to read it. I have read that book.
1: Yeah, Backlund is also batshit crazy. So I, I, I hope he's probably. And and if I if I know Bob like I do, he's probably got a stack of those books in his garage to this day, that he's trying to pawn off on neighbors walking around in a bow tie, going to his local uh, TGI Fridays. Uh, wanting to eat for free, pointing to a picture of him standing next to President Nixon, going, "I used to be somebody." So write your book if you think that's your indelible mark.
0: Do you? I mean, you don't think that Backlund could survive down in the Baja? Like if he, like, like if he brought up some protein shakes down there and stuff, and wanted to do his workouts at the ba- you don't think he could he could do well down in the Baja? You know, you know Look, what I mean.
1: Backlund is at this point seventy five years old, and he's in better shape than you. He could come down there, and uh, he'd absolutely survive. So long as he'd stay inside, because that white, uh, that white pasty skin of his would blister and peel off in the baja. I've got I've got some sort of uh, Roman or Greek uh, blood in me to where I don't even need sunscreen. I pour olive oil on myself, go outside and sunbathe, and then uh, you know I have a few uh, presa canarios
0: and hunting dogs that like to lick it off of me. I do think that's, like, the best impression I've ever heard in my life. And and the thing of it is, it does kind of fold in, like, everybody who's ever been on Rogan. <laughs> you know, everything that's ever been talked about on Rogan comes right. through Jesse when you do him. Yeah. Like, that's what I'm saying, right? It's like, you know, when you and I were going back and forth and we were joking about Long Pig. Uh, like Long the, Pig. The, You know, that he, of course, right. could, if he had to survive on Long Pig, you know, he could. Yeah, Right? And... <laughs> What I think is that, like, somehow when you, it seems to me when you're doing that thing, he is, like, folding in every episode of Tim Ferriss and Jocko and all the rest of it. Basically, the whole thing that's in our culture right now comes through your version of Jesse in a way, doesn't it? That's actually, yeah, I hear what you're saying.
1: The stuff that people say on Rogan, which would actually be the second most popular podcast in the world if someone started it. And it's just called the stuff that people say on Rogan. Yeah. And it's like, who is it? Oh, they just got great guests. They got, yeah, they got Jocko Willings coming in there, just being a fucking hard ass and angry for, you know, two and a half hours. And, People seem to like that, and then Jesse going in. I don't even drink coffee in the morning. I've been drinking yerba mate. Right. Yeah. To make my brew my own yerba mate. And with uh, the steel straw, you need the steel
0: straw. By the way, for the yerba mate. Well, I'll
1: tell you why you need the steel straw. Because yerba mate in here bad. Yerba mate uh, up your butt. That's what you you need. That yerba mate enema. I've got energy all day. A lot of people don't understand the way that your intestines absorb
0: caffeine. Come on, it's the craziest thing of all time, man. And yes, that would be a pot. I love Jocko. I know Jocko pretty well. And he's been amazing to me. Do you know him? Have you ever spent time with Jocko? No. He's also like so... I mean, that's the thing. Like, he's so fucking smart. But there have been a couple of times where I've had a question for him about... Like, when I... He really... He's helped me, like, uh, by just that no full... You cannot bullshit that guy. And you're like you know, Jocko, I really want to be able to go uh, ride a bike, but I feel, you know, and he'd just be be like, are you getting up at seven? You know, are you getting up at five? And you're like, well, yeah. but I get-, get up at five. What about when the donut, don't eat the fucking donut? What if you just didn't yeah. eat the donut? And you're like, but it's hard not to, it's hard not to eat the donut. You know, those guys are right. amazing. I'm such a fucking pussy, but those guys are... Speaking of that, uh, uh, when you got to uh, get in the like, I never wanted to get in the ring. I wanted to be Vince. I wanted to commentate. You know, Um, Mm -hmm. basically, did you have everything kind of right in your head about how the matches were called or not? Like, did you when you were in the in the ring doing it? What surprised you about the experience? Like, I always figure the bad guy calls the 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 match if you didn't plan it, and and all that stuff. But like, you actually got in there. Like, you really did it a few times, right? I did I had a full match if you could call it
1: that with Bret Hart right. in 1999 on Monday Nitro which was sort of the culmination of this you know sort of uh, Jerry the King Lawler Andy Kaufman storyline that we did for a year where he's pissed at me blah 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 and now here's this blow off match and I'm backstage going like people were <laughs> there were some that were like stoked to see me and and uh wanted to hang out like and joke around guys like kevin nash and right. scott hall then there were guys that were staring a hole at me staring a hole through me like
0: yeah because the business is sa- the business is sacred man you got well, the business is Fuck fucking yeah. sacred dude they were like they were like you some i can't
1: remember who but someone was like i was like where should i get changed and they go um they go oh no that that was a different that, there was a thing i did a couple of weeks before before the match and i asked and we we're actually in buffalo and i go where can i get changed And they go, um, oh, you can get changed. And they just go change with the boys. And I was like, I'm not going in there. Like, I'm not going in there. Like, that's not that I know that much that I'm not allowed in there. And I avoided that. I didn't go near there. So I was a guest and I was.
0: That's awesome. No, that's so awesome. Right. Because the mistake would be to walk in, think, you know, thinking you're one of the boys. And and And
1: Bam Bam Bigelow was very like, was kind of vocal and was fucking with me. But I don't, I mean, but he wasn't, he wasn't stoked on, on this stupid Hollywood bullshit happening on the foot. What? He's got fucking segment nine on the show. Yeah. The fuck I'm in the, I'm in the third match with, with this fucking jabron. And then this guy, and then, and Eddie Guerrero stared a hole through me and Chris Benoit. And like, they were like, not happy that Hollywood was in town that day. But as far as the match, it's goes, hard to picture Chris.
0: I'd hard to picture Chris really doing anything about it if he got angry. Oh god! Oh goodness! Oh goodness me!
1: Um, and then Brett
0: I'll takes talk, me out that there. Guy. Have, you know, I'll talk. I'll, I'll talk. talk. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Hey, look, I'm sorry. I've literally never have... said something like that. Of the if you know that, oh. if you know the reference, I let me just say, I apologize. Yeah.
1: Man. I oh. I, I tell people about, I never, I have never talked about this on wax, but I spent some time and then I got to know, I met him and Wait, stuff, you never and talked about what him.
0: go, what'd you never talk about?
1: No, I never talk about we, we were at, I was fortunate enough through my good pal, Carl DeMarco, who was with the WWE for years and years. He, he got me these amazing, me and three of my pals that I grew up with ringside at WrestleMania 18. And then we go to the after party And we and people just kind of sat at this table and that. And we ended up sitting at a table with Chris Benoit and one of his childhood friends um, and just hanging out. And it's like. It was very pleasant. So I don't really bring it up because it's so sad. No, I mean, look Um, what Paul Heyman said,
0: just what Paul Heyman said. And go if you're listening to this, go find Paul Heyman's speech when someone tries to talk about Benoit as a wrestler and the way Paul Heyman talks about the fact that. If you bring his name up, you gotta mention the fact that all we know him as is a guy who killed his family. And and um, but yeah, you know, you've seen. Have you seen Heyman's that incredible speech Heyman made? No. Oh, it's no, amazing, I'm gonna look it up. Amazing, dude. He someone he's addressing a group of like aspiring wrestlers and, and people and some other and someone tries to he's like, who are your favorite? red? someone tries to get him to talk about just the ring work of Benoit. And Heyman's like, dude. And you could see him decide. And then he just makes the decision to kind of really, like, because there is no better talker on a mic than Paul Heyman, And he just decides to go through the whole, like, let me explain something, why that is, you've now broken kind of the one, yeah, you know, thing. Um, well, it's so-
1: like wrestling nerds are so, such... Nerds for the product and and what someone like Benoit yeah, did the, in the work ring. yeah, the work like, in
0: the red. It's like, yeah, he was a great worker, great. You know, yeah, it's it's you can't we, really, you know. And I'm I'm sure, no. yeah, I'm I'm sure Paul Pot told some good jokes. It's just like you you know, right? You don't no, you, They never can't. say Paul Pot the comedian. They no, know, they, they never, never give him his they, due. They never say you know. Uh, yeah. it's always that. so yes sorry but so those guys gave you some of them gave you shit but then other ones were cool but when you got in the ring were you worried about planning the match beforehand or did you know that he would call it and you'd be fine I was
1: worried about everything and I go in there in the afternoon and Bret Hart literally says to me he's like oh you know I mean you've you've watched this your whole life and you know you, you do physical comedy you'll be alright I'm like I don't think so you know what do you mean and but Brett, I've often said like he he could have a match with a a you know a 300 pounds sack of flour and he did that day so he the one rule he said was he goes and we were just in the ring and he he just grabbed me he gave me a Russian leg sweep and you know it's like I yeah I do physical comedy and grew up you know all Playing sports very yeah, physical and p- football and all that shit. So it's like, yeah, falling on the mat like a like a sack of shit was, was easy. That's easy. Um, that was easy. Uh, but what he said was, I am going to do everything. Do not move until I move you. And he's like, you've got no offense. Here's the other thing. Brian Hart, who was a Mad TV, was a writer-producer at Mad TV, huge wrestling fan, no relation to Brett. Brian was the reason that we did all this. Brian's the guy who's like, we should do this thing and blah, blah, blah. It was all his brainchild. And he, he, we, we were flying in and we were thinking about, because Brett was very amiable, like, you know, what do you guys want to do? You want to do a cheap shot or, you know, how do you? And for me and Brian, it was like, we hate that Jay Leno has Hulk Hogan oh, Brian, in a headlock yeah, in yeah. WCW. Yeah. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. stupid. So we went there to Brett and Brian yeah. says, here's what we want to do. You know, you can start, you start the match. Uh, What do you think, Brett? What do you, and he's like, he was like, oh, let's go test of strength. Like, Brett's like, Uh, thing. He's like, all right, do this with me, you, you sack of shit. And I'm like, oh, okay, like thing playing the audience a little bit. And he goes like this, he kicks me in the gut and then just beats the shit out of me leisurely for five minutes. Amazing. And Brian says, Will gets no offense. And 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 Brett's like, yeah, because I'm like, what? why the fuck? And Brian's like, exactly. And Brett was so happy that, I mean, he knew we got it.
0: But we're no, all, but that, that you're really showing you point. got it. You're not trying to show him up. You're taking the business seriously. You're doing the thing yeah. the way you're supposed to, to do it. You're protecting his ability yeah. to keep bringing money into the arenas by not, like all that stuff. It makes total sense. Has it changed? Did it change the way you, can you still duck in occasionally and watch a wrestling, like watch a night of Raw if you feel like it and still like dig it? Yeah. Yeah, I was yeah, I
1: I watched uh the first half of Raw uh the other night and watched and was like that's a good segment. I liked what I like what Gunther is doing right now. Uh it's like there's a lot of shit that I dig, but it's like yeah, I can still it, it it's like I feel like wrestling fans we're we're we want it to be good. We, we always want it to be good.
0: We do, I mean, I want it to be you? more kayfabe. I, I talk to, I occasionally get to talk to Paul, you know, Hunter and uh, yeah, I, I, would love, I would love it to somehow return to a little bit of a greasy sort of um, a little more kayfabe. Oh, which Yeah, a little more of what, you know, the carny thing because its roots are that and, and it's, it's the fact that you could, had to unpeel the onion yourself I think made it, made lifelong fans. I think when we both got into it, you became a life, you know, we dip out, everyone dips out. I could go five years and be yeah. not, and be out. Right, But we, it is still a part of our lives. Uh, and the, because I think part of it is that we had to do that work of peeling that onion ourselves. Well, yeah.
1: And now, look, I'll give you a weird example from just the other day and Paul Heyman, was Did you see this clip of him talking about Bobby Heenan and he sent it to me.
0: Paul sent it. To, I haven't watched it yet, but Heyman sent it to me, but I haven't watched it yet. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Look, here's
1: here's what I'll say as a wrestling fan, and then I'll give you what I think is happening. Paul Heyman says, it's like, are you the greatest manager of all time? Are you the GOAT? And he goes, yes, of course. And then, and then he goes, Bobby Heenan, and he talks a bunch of shit about Bobby Heenan, who is the greatest manager of all time. And, and, and it's like, Paul Heyman is, uh, first of all, he has the advantage of being Paul Heyman, and it is always Paul Heyman. And you never know whether he's, quote unquote, working you or not. And I'm like, of course, he's burying Heenan. That is the greatest respect to Heenan. The
0: highest respect. The Uh, the highest. You know, that, that move that he made. I do think the Cody Rhodes promo is the greatest promo I've ever seen in my entire life. Because really? They played it, him and Cody. Did you watch that whole 17 yeah. minutes? Oh, yeah. For me, yeah. when he turned it, well, Dusty's my, you know, Bruno, Ernie, and Dusty are my three, those are the three okay. guys. I, Dusty matters a lot to me. And uh, yeah, the way that Paul worked that moment, where there was enough shoot elements in it, I think, was just staggering. Like, so much respect for Dusty to yeah. use Dusty to crush Cody, right? Wasn't yeah. that amazing? Absolutely. And I
1: feel like as as wrestling fans have been s- s- slowly and then more recently, not so slowly, let, being let in on the fact that this is a performance, uh, a very r- real and physical performance with real people who sometimes have heat with each other for real who are sometimes not into each other and it's a workplace like anything else and it's a competition like anything else and once you're let in on that and you see something like the Cody promo it's like wait 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 I I still get I still don't know what's real or what's not in in that respect when you see something like that and when I see Brock Lesnar walk out I'm still like He could go off at any moment and
0: break someone's arm. Well, it's the greatest thing ever that he's actually also the baddest motherfucker in the whole world. That is just a fluky. It's only like Ken Patera was a real champion, but he could never speak. He was never good enough to become, weirdly, right? He was better at. Ken Patera was much better as an Olympian than he was in the thing. But Brock was at times like literally the toughest, worst motherfucker in the world and so yeah. getting him to be that okay last thing because this leads us into because your time here this leads us into the following thing it's like how much do you want people watching and listening to dudesy with all this stuff in mind you know like uh wandering about the levels of reality at play well look you know the thing about
1: the you know look the thing about dudes, pod, is, Will's podcast.
0: That is, uh, Will, yeah. uh, the podcast that is, um, uh, an AI is listening to everything and saying everything. And, you know, yeah,
1: it's, it's myself and my good pal, Chad Colchin, who's, uh, who's a, a, a writer, uh, of, and producer of many years. And we, we've worked together on stuff and we've been but pals. There's for lots of Reddit, years.
0: but there's like lots of Reddit stuff and everywhere else. Like there's lots of the kayfabe questions about it. And are yes. just do you, like, you know, is Dudesy real is a big sort of thing that someone like me, who's a Phil Hendry mechanical Turk and kayfabe yeah. person is super into. Do you, and yeah. you know, you did once pull off a years long kayfabe thing in your life yeah. where you like literally. I, so how do you, are you, do you like that it is a conversation among people? I love people? it. I love that people are like, no, there's no way that AI
1: can do that. And I'm like, okay, well, whatever. Welcome to it. I mean, look, it's Chad and I in a room, doing our thing. So, I would love for people to to come in and experience what we're experiencing. And and also, when we first started with this thing, Chad's like, look, you know, they approached Chad first, and uh, you know, the people who have this proprietary AI. And Chad was the one who had to talk me into it because I was like, and I still talk on the show, which. At this point, it's like I love doing the show. I always say, "Hey, I love dudes. D-, D is my pal and stuff." But Chad had to talk me into it to go like, "Look, AI is the way of the future, and if we just let this fucking thing break us down a bit, it's going to come up with. It's going to be will. It's going to be like a sketch show almost. We're going to be able to do segments. And the thing that really made me like it, and now I, I like it. I like it so much that it's like." That I'm like, okay, uh, these are things that I wouldn't have come up come up with. Like when it says, do, you know, do Adam Sand Adam Sand Adam Sand- like it shits things out that are so fucked up. Like Adam Sandler has visited over 400 uh, Applebee's locations with with aim to you know visit all 1,500 in in the USA. He's also made meticulous notes of all his visits. Will please read these notes? And it's, it's like. Hey, buddy, I love chicken tenders, pal. Oh boy, Applebee's. Let me tell you something. One of the finest appointed bathrooms I've ever been in. The Boise Idaho Applebee's. You know, blah, blah, blah. I got I started off with the, the <laughs> Mucho <laughs> Macho nachos and a and a Terramana Mana Margarita. That's funny, um, yeah. <laughs> And these are things that I never would have thought to do, or we do a thing called infomania. Where it's basically, you know, news segments are big business and blah blah blah, and then Hulk Hogan is, you know, delivering the news. I'll well, tell you something about what happened in that congressional hearing, dude. That is, you know, that jump-off point of having AI, you know, program a little bit of it is 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 enough to have people go, I don't buy it. And then there's the shit that I'm literally not allowed to talk about because of the whatever we t- we we. We signed an NDA with regard to the gutty works of how the AI works.
0: Um, yeah, no, I just want to say, I, as, I, a, as a work, it is a thing of genius. And, and, and if it's a shoot, it's also a work of genius. So I love it. I love it. I kind of just love it because it hits. Look, like, you should know, Like my, I think, basically, before the Andy Kaufman movie was made, and I know you probably have seen like, I'm sure you were someone. I, I had the special, and I watched the special, hundred times as a, I, I had oh, wow. the special. So I really did. I had the I watched it like a hundred times the special. So like I like every part of what you're doing with the thing. And uh you know, because I think it's in an incredible tradition. And so whichever thing it is, it's fucking amazing, right? You know? I really appreciate that, Brian. And I and I also,
1: you know, it's like at, at this point, you know, the, the cool thing is is the stuff that Chad and I get to do that I tell him we can do without dudesy and I always say look this podcast and every podcast is just two dudes shitting around doesn't even mean it doesn't even matter if it's three women it's always two dudes shitting around and that's what podcasts are case in point what we're doing right now and and as we move forward you know there's, I, I'm stoked that people are like, it's real, it's fake, like whatever. I know what I know, and I can tell people what I know about what we're doing and what I know to be fact. And but the thing to also remember at the end of the day is this is something that, you know, the exponential growth of AI, blah blah blah. You can go and yeah, of you course, know, oh, AI's are of course. I mean, yeah, course. I mean uh, it's the fucking, capabilities it's terrifying.
0: The capability is um, incredible, incredible. And, and- but what but what i'm but what i'm learning about and horrific if you're a screenwriter horrific but incredible yes
1: horrific horrific but uh the the thing that i'm learning about you know the entire experience with regard to programming what dudesy will do you know in it because i believe again it's two dudes shitting around is that this is coming from It's like I say to Chad and what I say on the show, we're dudesy. If we show dudesy what we want it to be, it will reflect it back to us. And I think that that's where people go. This is clearly just a ruse and whatever you you can, you can believe whatever you want. I, I feel like, and the thing that Chad is always screaming at the fences about is how the fuck do you, it's like, look at all these advancements. And I've called every. Chad has literally predicted every Well, no, yeah, I know thing. Chad.
0: I understand why Chad can do that. I know who. Yeah, that all that all makes yeah, sense. Like I said, I'm not here weird. to. Debunk, I have no interest in. I have no, zero no. interest in debunking dudesy. I, like I said, I'm a guy who drove around listening to Phil Hendry for years and watching the thing. I'm like I'm down, fully in, and I. But I think, as someone who's has the interest you have, the fact that you found a way to do something, that is, it that has deep elements of kayfabe in it no matter what is super fucking cool and you must like that part of the whole thing right we so we talked about I
1: remember clearly taught and I set myself up but I really clearly I talked about kayfabe the first fucking episode we had an we had a I gotta go back a whole segment well because my my main you know my main uh love uh, as far as what I nerd out on and what I ingest is wrestling and Chad's is the bachelor franchise because if you know chad and i won't get into it google him he is he has a podcast called game of roses and he's broken it down like sport and he's like if you do this in episode three you will uh be what was his first book called
0: what was chad's first book called
1: the average american male right yeah um yeah he's written a string of books uh and he's now written a, a a book with uh Lizzie, his partner, uh, called How to Win the Bachelor. And now he's coaching, he calls them players, who are going into the show. And he's even had people plant the book on set, and the producers are finding it. But Chad says to them, if you do this, you are this person. And it's about manipulating the producers, because the producers are are trying to be the yeah. marionette puppeteers, I, yeah. uh-huh. but
0: the, I got that. But yeah. the producers are—they're predictable, of course, as humans are who are listening to the uh, AI-run podcast, doozy. So, so to get so, a full circle on so it, so we
1: had, but we had this conversation: how Bachelor and wrestling—they're the same thing. They're both kayfabe, and then it's like you're doing this podcast with AI, and people are like. Yeah, but that doesn't make sense. I was like, all right, well, fucking stick around and see what else AI can do. We have a specific thing that does a specific purpose and it happens to work with us well. So I welcome the conversation.
0: That's awesome. Will Sasso, guys, go find him. He's on uh, Instagram. He's all over TikTok uh, as Jesse Ventura. I am? Yeah, dude, you're on TikTok constantly as Jesse Ventura on every podcast. It's crazy. Oh, maybe I should. Constantly on, you're like, Constantly on TikTok, yeah. Uh, not okay. just, like I've gone through roles, periods of watch, but I've been, I, mean, I get I get fed you doing Jesse constantly everywhere. So oh, your algo uh, is fucked uh, My algo is way into you doing Jesse Matura. Will, thanks so much, man. This was great fun. Really appreciate it. Brian, I really appreciate uh, this conversation.
1: I was stoked that you reached out. Sorry, I fucked it up the last time we tried to record. That's an we're, inside story
0: for another time. We're here now. We're here yeah. now. It all worked I- out great. All right, thanks everybody. Uh I will uh see you next uh week. and go check out uh Doozy. All right, everyone, bye.